Hi, this is Fawn Germer, author of Coming Back, and you're listening to My Quest for the Best with Bill Ringel. Listen up, small business founders, senior managers, and rising stars. Bill Ringel here, host of My Quest for the Best, the podcast for ambitious small business leaders. On each episode, I bring you the inside stories from published and accomplished experts who want to share their knowledge and experiences in order to help you be more successful in leading your people, managing your business, and navigating toward more growth and more impact in a changing and challenging landscape. Let's dive in. Joining me today is Fawn Germer. Fawn educates and inspires people to take charge of their careers through her keynote speaking and writing. She authored nine best-selling books, including the Oprah book, Hard Won Wisdom. She's written for the Washington Post, U.S. News and World Report, and the Miami Herald. As a thought leader, her corporate clients include NASA, Microsoft, Ford, and Kraft, among others. A four-time Pulitzer nominee, she interviewed more than 300 CEOs, senior executives, workplace consultants, academics, and professionals for her new book. Fawn Germer lives outside of Tampa, Florida, and is here to talk about her book, How to Win the Job You Want When You've Lost the job you need. And her new book, Coming Back, How to Win the Job You Want When You've Lost the Job You Need. Welcome, Fawn. Hey, Bill. It's so good to have you on. My pleasure. Fawn, when you were growing up, who's someone who influenced or inspired you? Without a doubt, my mom. We're all lucky if we have good ones. And I had a mom that was a take no prisoners, bold woman who, even though she grew up at a time when she couldn't do everything, taught me that I could. And that is where I learned to just make my own rules. Can you give me an example? Boy, which one? It started young when I was getting in trouble writing for the school paper and and just writing controversial things. And then as I became a reporter, I did not cower. This was quite a while ago. And you'd have these male public officials and leaders who weren't used to strong women confronting them. And I just was fearless. And I got that from my mother. Absolutely. I'm curious as to whether you recall any of the controversial articles you wrote when you first started writing for the school paper. Yes. I wrote an editorial asking why we were saying the Pledge of Allegiance if nobody listens to it and everybody says we're a democracy and every day we were standing up saying to the republic for which it stands. And it caused a huge controversy. And the principal even threatened to have me sent to a different school because I had been given permission to go to this school because it it had a better journalism program. And my mother said, I love that. She goes, that's fine. Go ahead and do that. But if you move her to another school, I will be renting an apartment in your district the next day. And that was the end of that discussion. So you've taken away from this that your mom was such a strong advocate, believed in your abilities, and it encouraged you to question and even challenge existing norms. Can you think of a time early in your career when that type of attitude or influence of your mom continued to play a role and you could remember making a decision or saying something to someone and you knew it was because of that support and encouragement your mom had given you? Well, that happens all the time. And I remember one time I had taken on a freelance project and the person insisted we have to have a contract. And then she decided she didn't want to do it anymore. And I had put a lot of time in it. And I said, no, we're going to have to honor the contract. And she kept trying to weasel. This this was terrible. It was a a lot of money. And I'm, I'm like, no, you're going to have to honor the contract. And I just, I heard my mother cheering in my head because she would never have flinched on it. And this person used a lot of force to try to get out of that, and it didn't work. And in the end? I got paid. Excellent. 
Fawn, we're in a situation now, we're about a year into the pandemic lockdown, and it's changed the entire job landscape. And one of the things that is coming that comes through in your book coming back is the idea that people really need to step up because so many of the ways that people are recognized, rewarded, and advanced in their careers have been stripped away. We now are being judged and looked at in entirely different um, lenses than what we were used to. And what is your perspective on, you've started to write this book and formulate it well before the pandemic, but it plays into what many of the things that you've already identified. What would you say are some of the major takeaways of what you've observed from your clients and your readers of the book that have been shared with you in the last several months about how the pandemic has really interrupted their careers and influence them in a direction that they don't want. When I started this, it was really looking at issues that professionals were starting to hit the wall mid-career. So I, I had this great idea and I did so many interviews and found out that my entire thesis was wrong and came up with something very contrarian. And the timing of the book was very magical because so many people are now either out of work or struggling professionally. And the bottom line of the book was how you have to create relevance in your career so that you're still in demand. Where that gets very challenging right now is that we are like are, are often invisible because we're working at home. And you've got those moments where you're on a Zoom call, but your exposure and your FaceTime with the people that can advance and protect you is minimized. And so we have to do certain things that keep us valuable. And, and that means you are constantly upskilling You've got more time now because you're not commuting and you're not getting ready for work. So use that to take classes online. And it's so important that you have constant dialogues going with the people who are your superiors and then above them, just so that you're checking in, staying on the radar so that you're not seeming like someone who has vanished and is expendable. So you do that by just saying, hey, I just want to touch base. I haven't seen you in a while. Or you send a compliment or a thank you for something and always need to show that you are still contributing. So you send these little notes. Hey, just want to touch base. I've been working on this. I think this is going good for our team. What do you think about doing something else differently? Now, a lot of people think that this is a time to just keep their heads down, get through this. But this is also a time with huge opportunity. People who think that keeping their head down are really making a huge mistake in no matter what type of business you're in or industry, it really is the time to be visible and to make contributions and take that really into your own hands, isn't it? No, absolutely. You have to be very deliberate and serious. When a company is going through what they are forced to go through at a time like this, they're are huge unmet needs. And it's the greatest moment that you can stand up and lead. And so what you do is you identify an issue and say, this is a problem. I think we should do X, Y, and Z. I'm happy to do and then volunteer and get on committees and things that give you exposure throughout the company to do that. But your greatest opportunity to succeed is in a moment when everyone else is frustrated or giving up. Can you think of an example of someone who you've spoken with who took that advice and was encouraged to form a committee or solve a problem that we could talk about a specific example of how he or she took that initiative? So I, I have a, a client, Janine, who is with a major IT company that is based in the Tampa Bay area. 
and she is a director. And when they were having some significant changes and were trying to merge people in from a different division, everyone else was scrambling, trying to figure out how they were going to survive. Instead, we came up for a game plan and said, how are you going to rally so that you are a leader in this change instead of reacting to what they're telling? And so we came up with a, a full business plan, if you will, for the parts of her department that were going to be impacted by the new people coming in and then the overall desire to get rid of duplication. And she came up with her strategy and got some FaceTime and then was put in charge of this thing. It was an enormous promotion. And Janine found a way to make this a win situation for her. And a lot of people have to realize that these opportunities exist. You just have to go and get them. So true and so important. Now, another issue that I think a lot of people are dealing with from what I've heard and from what I've read is that people don't have the same cues of being able to relate and build relationships that take time and are accomplished in different ways. You cited the work of Todd Churches, who's an academic researcher, as well as working and consulting in the workforce, who talked about millennials. And he said that millennials are largely motivated by three things, purpose, freedom, and money. I'd add to that the opportunities to add to their skill set. What do you think that experienced men and women professionals who are looking to be interviewed for jobs and find that they're being interviewed on Zoom by millennials for desirable jobs, what do they need to keep in mind in order to succeed in this new way of interviewing, working, and getting hired at small businesses in particular? There are really two things at play. One is when you're being interviewed by younger people, don't harp on your experience. They don't care about your experience. They want to know that you're relevant. So you really want to sell yourself for the things that you've learned that are going to drive the company into the future. And you don't say things like, wow, I've got a grandson your age, or my son is your age. You say, you make it clear that you respect the person and don't have to lecture them and you don't have to impress them with the fact that because they really aren't giving you those points. So you just go in there and have what you're doing that makes you the best person for the job in five and 10 years. It's not enough to be the best person for the job today. And then when you're in this new way of communicating through Zoom, you really have to think about what you're projecting. And a lot of people don't think about that. I had somebody do an interview with me two weeks ago, and, and you could literally see his dirty laundry, his dirty socks in the shot. And so you have to really get on Zoom ahead of time and set up your own Zoom session so you can eyeball this, just you, so that you can eyeball what you are projecting. Look at every single thing that's coming in there. And then visibly, you have to be dressed sharp, have your makeup, and particularly if you are a little older, you have to make sure you look like you're the cool older person and not the frumpy old lady or the sloppy old man. So you have to get your, your appearance right before you do anything. And then you look straight in the camera when you're talking, not straight at their picture on the screen, and you communicate directly with them with stories and engaging ideas, and then you're off, you're running. It sounds like the presentation is really what changes. There's still the background, the research on the company, and finding out how you particularly can contribute to the job as the responsibilities are posted is the substance of the, the conversation. And that's what people need to be prepared for. But don't detract from your message by having laundry in the background of your Zoom. No, your content is so important. I don't want to suggest that it's not. It's that 
if there is something distracting, they're never going to hear your content. So you have to put the, the visual first because that's the thing that's selling you first. And that's where they make their judgments about you. That's a great point. And I hope that everyone takes note of that as they're making those connections. Now, what if people are already hired? I know that there are a lot of small businesses that are working with their teams and have given assignments. And it's really changed how managers and senior leaders are looking at their teams because no longer do they have access to being able to see the work in progress by just looking over someone's shoulder or benefiting from those conversations that take place in you know the lunchroom. Instead, people have to take more of a proactive approach in order to establish those relationships. What's your view on it? And what have you heard from people who are succeeding in this way? It's communication. And the more you're out there communicating, the more you're on their radar. So I just say you step it up in every way possible. If you have a mentor, you want constant communication with that person because they have your back and can help you. But this is a great time to expand that and add a second and third tier of mentors to figure out how to negotiate this. And then again, your communication with people is so key for everything that you do. You want to keep in front of them and on on their radar. When you've worked and coached executives to think about this and to add additional mentor to help them maybe get experience in a business area, that they may want to move into. Do you have an example of how someone succeeded in reaching out to a mentor and maybe some of the language that you offer so that people know how to apply and adapt that language to their particular circumstance? I think a lot of mentor relationships get overemphasized to the point where it sometimes makes people not want to do it because it sounds like you're trying to find a husband or a wife. Oh, I got to find a mentor. And it sounds like this huge commitment. And instead, what you want are people in your kitchen cabinet. You want people who will give you the advice that you need. And that means there will be people in different disciplines. And so I have many of my clients strategize a better kitchen cabinet. Let me tell you about one of my clients, Laura, who is a VP in marketing at a major pharmaceutical company based up in New Jersey. And she'd been there a long time and was getting a lot of great experience, but was starting to get bored and wanted a better challenge and a better opportunity. So we strategized a way that she could get better exposure and move into sales, which she wanted something that was going to give her more bottom line accountability, because that would then eventually track her higher and hopefully on a path towards CEO. And which I admire somebody who is young and is saying, I want to be the CEO of this company. So she did that. She came up with it. And I said, let's figure out five people that would be great to have as advocates for you in this process. And we came up with that list and she came up with her list and then reach out. And it's very easy to do this when you're networking now because people have time and they're a little bored with everything that's going on. So that if you ask for a favor, which is, hey, can we do Zoom and coffee? I, I want to bounce something off of you. If they know who you are, they're probably going to say yes. If they don't know you, you have to find the way to get to them and get that question. But once you get that FaceTime, then you build on that and find a way to bring them into your kitchen cabinet. So she has had a lot of suge- success getting these meetings. And I, it's this hasn't formalized, but change is in the wind and this is going to be a win. 
This is going to be a win and just hasn't happened yet. So as she assembles this kitchen cabinet and being able to bring in advisors and people who are on her side and understand her perspective and maybe even are aware of where she wants to take this, what are some of the obstacles that you anticipate she's going to need to overcome in order to be successful with making the transitions that she wants? I wouldn't bet against her on anything. The only obstacles is competition because other people want those positions too. And so that's why we differentiate ourselves with our our relevance score. The more you're adding that makes you current and future, then the more valuable you are. So competition, other people are going to want opportunities too. So the way you differentiate yourself is with what you know and never be satisfied that you know what you need to know. So it's that relevance score. It's staying relevant to the topics at hand and the issues of how people are looking to advance their businesses in their particular departments and the company overall. And then showing how your contributions are going to help them reach those goals or at least provide resources to be better able to solve those areas. Fawn, are you ready for the My Quest for the Best lightning round? Bring it on. All right. So at the beginning of the interview, I asked you about a person who inspired or influenced you. You talked about your mom. When you were a teenager, what's a song that you loved? Oh, my God. Love Will Keep Us Together by the Captain and Tennille. How does that go? Love Will Keep Us Together. Is there a particular tool or system that you use to keeping your business visible to the buyers? I stay visible because I just like the phone. So my tool is I go for long hikes in the woods and I'm always talking to somebody. So that's what closes deals for me. You go for hikes and you just always walk and you always have people to call or even you set it up in advance to make those calls. I set them up in advance. I say, hey, I want to go hiking. You want to go? And so we do that. My dog gets a lot of extra exercise. I'm out in the woods and we have a lot of communication and that has turned into quite a lot of business. What would you say is the most important habit, routine, or belief that you've stopped in the last year that's brought you the most pleasure or personal satisfaction? I I went on a diet. I stopped eating cheese and that has resulted in great success. So I guess I found where my weak point was. In your book, you've got a, a chapter called Stop Networking Like a Wimp. What are some of the ways that people can recognize that they are networking weekly, which is not strong, but in a weak way. And what are a couple pieces of advice for people to network even more effectively? If you are afraid to ask for a favor and call in a chit, you don't have the right network and you're not doing it effectively. So you have to be able to say to somebody in your network, I need you to call Bill Ringle and tell him he needs to hire me and here's why. And then tell him he needs to do a, a Zoom introduction call and then send a an email introducing us together. If you can't call people in your network and say, here's a job, I want it. Here's what I need you to do. Your job is not, your network's not doing its job. A lot of people go to networking events and shake hands back when we used to do that. And they make business connections when the world operates on friendships. And so you go to networking conferences and maybe instead of making 20 useless connections, you figure out three to five where you can start friendships and then cultivate those so that when the time comes, you can send an email that says, I need a personal favor and say exactly what you want and call in the chip because that's how things get done. You're using that as a gauge to say, if you can do that, you've got a rich network. If you can't do that, What can people do to build up that level of trust or maybe even recalibrate and reach out to people who will be able to do that rather than people who they might know as neighbors or their network doesn't really include enough people who 
have that level of power or influence or connection themselves. So you get on LinkedIn and you start commenting on what they're posting or you share articles with them. And then the more you interact with what they're doing, because people like that when people respond to them, then at some point you, you send them something saying, hey, I was looking at this. What do you think about it? And then by that point, you've got a little bit of an entree and then say, hey, I'm really interested in your company. How about we get on Zoom and do 15 minute coffee and Zoom? Would you be able to do that just so I know a little more? And that is a turning point. People will help you. Along the way, some people say no, but not the majority. You just have to ask. Well, Fun, you have shared so many great ideas today on my quest for the best. I want to thank you for talking about the influence your mother had in your life and how she encouraged you to believe you could do anything and supported you in those decisions that you've made. I want to thank you for helping us realize the importance of creating relevance and making yourself in demand, going out and having that attitude of making sure that you can do and contribute to solving problems and advancing goals because that's what people will really gravitate to. You talked about Janine and helping her develop a game plan in order to resolve a merger and make that go more smoothly. And she was even named as a leader to help others after that result. We talked about the importance of making sure that when you're networking with others, you've got to be on your game, you've got to be dressed for the part, and you've also got to make sure there are no dirty socks in the background of your Zoom video. It's all about staying relevant and communicating that because you can't assume that people are going to remember all the great ways that you can contribute. So for all these reasons and so many more, Fawn, thank you so much for joining me on my quest for the best. My pleasure, Bill. Good luck to you. And Fawn, before we say goodbye for now, where can people go to find out more about you and your work online? Yeah, my website is fawngermer.com. Fawn, I know that you love to hear from people, so we're going to link not only to your website, but all of your social media, as well as your books, so that people can continue to learn from you after this interview. So Fawn Germer, author of Coming Back, How to Win the Job You Want When You've Lost the Job You Need, I want to thank you once again for joining me on My Quest for the Best. Thanks, Bill. Hi, this is Bill, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast interview on My Quest for the Best. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite app so you never miss an episode full of stories, tips, and insights for the ambitious small business leader. Now I have a quick request for you. Please go to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and give us a rating and review. My team and I really appreciate the feedback and we read every comment to find out what you enjoy and what you want as we develop new content, course materials, and a few surprises that we have in store for you. When you rate and review my quest for the best, you help other small business leaders find us, subscribe to the podcast, and join the community. You can get the Insider's e-newsletter for small business leaders by going to myquestforthebest.com. We have chosen a challenging path to make a living and make a difference in the world, and I believe it's important to share top-notch resources with each other, which is why you'll find new episodes from top thought leaders and small business experts on My Quest for the Best each week. Thanks for listening and being part of the community. See you on the next episode.